Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Reckless. I was a big fan of the movie Tron. One might say I was kind of a Tron nut talking about it, telling people about it. I was really into it. When you're really into something that other people aren't, you can't quite understand exactly why they aren't into that thing. And with Tron, it was pretty obvious that most people were not as into it as I was. I talked to people all the time about it and could not get them excited for it. And the way the film faded away so quickly and the critical response to it kind of helped kill any enthusiasm I could have mustered from the people around me. But then I saw an ad on television for an upcoming TV show that looked just like Tron. It was called Auto Man. And I was just a young kid, so I didn't understand about who owned things and what stuff was. All I knew is that when I saw the previews for Auto Man and the ads in TV Guide, it looked a lot like Tron. And so to me, it was Tron it was going to be Tron on television. And that's exactly what I started to tell people. Did you hear? There's going to be Tron on TV. They're just calling it Auto Man. When it came out, it did look like Tron, and it had a lot of elements from Tron in it. But it was not Tron. And boy, did my friends let me know that it wasn't Tron. I weathered the criticism, and I owned it eventually. Although I made up a lot of excuses and talked about elements of Tron that are in the show and how they could be related and maybe secretly they were going to be eventually. But eventually it became obvious that this wasn't going to be Tron. But it was something else. Something I really enjoyed. A TV show that borrowed elements from what I liked about Tron and wrapped it all up in a shiny package that I could consume. So on today's show, I'd like to talk to you about this marvelous package, Auto Man. We'll talk about the people in front of and behind the camera. We'll talk about its creation, its reception, the music, the merchandise, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. Metagirl's back with a top five list, and we have an info-packed episode ahead of us. So without further ado, let's start the show. Automan was a television show, basically a superhero cop show that was produced by Glenn A. Larson. They made 13 episodes of it, although only 12 aired on the ABC network from 1983 to 1984. Stylistically, it does look a lot like the live action Tron film that Disney had put out a year earlier. Before we get into discussions of Tron, let's talk a little bit about its creator, Glenn A. Larson. 
Glenn Albert Larson was born in 1937. He passed away in 2014. He was a producer, musician, director, writer, created some of the best-known shows of the 70s and 80s, including Battlestar Galactica, Buck Rogers, Quincy M.E., The Fall Guy, B.J. and the Bear, Magnum P.I., Knight Rider, the list goes on and on and on. In addition to successfully having TV shows on the air, he was nominated for an Emmy for Best Drama Series for Quincy. He would win a Grammy Award for his work on Battlestar Galactica, and then would win two Edgar Awards for work on McLeod and Magnum P.I. Now, I've talked about Glenn A. Larson before. One thing I've never really addressed is the criticism of Glenn A. Larson, which I've kind of avoided because I feel like borrowing liberally in some ways are what various art forms do to one another. But Larson was known by a lot of people to borrow quite heavily from things, including plot lines, theme music, whatever he could get his hands on to bring into another show. It got to the point where someone like James Garner, who was in the Rockford Files, whose opinion was that Larson had taken plot lines from episodes of the Rockford Files, actually punched Larson. I read it said he punched him so hard that he flew across the curb into a motorhome and out the other side. I don't know if that's the case, but I can imagine when Garner hit you. It hurts. Another person who did not like Glenn Larson was Harlan Ellison. Harlan Ellison is a famous author. If you don't know who he is, I don't think he likes anyone, but he is clever and he came up with a great nickname for Glenn Larson, which is Glenn Larceny. Just amazing. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about the producers of Automan, and I mention them because of something important, the connection to Tron. The two producers are Donald Kushner and Peter Locke, Kushner and Locke. Donald Kushner formed a partnership with filmmaker Steven Lisberger in 1977. And a year later, the two of them moved to the West Coast and produced an animated film, which I've talked about on the site and in a show, Animal Olympics. When Animal Olympics really didn't go anywhere, they started to talk about a live-action film with Walt Disney Pictures called Tron. And Kushner would serve as producer on Tron. After Tron, Kushner would team up with Peter Locke and together with Glenn Larson, would help to create and produce Automan. So there is a connection between the two because Automan really does borrow elements of Tron and has some Tron people behind it. Peter Locke is a film producer and co-founder of Kushner Locke, has multiple TV credits, including Automan, The Stockard Channing Show, Sweating Bullets, First in Ten, and many others. So if we're going to talk about Automan, we should go back to the summer of 1982. That is when a film called Tron was released, and it went inside of a computer landscape that were populated by programs. And it was filled with technical computer stuff and real colorful sets and costumes. It starred Jeff Bridges, Bruce Boxleitner, and David Warner. While the plot was fun, really what captured everyone's imagination were the visuals. Bright neon glowing suits, light motorcycles able to make 90 degree turns. It was very creative and fired the imagination. It also didn't do very well and didn't earn the money that Disney hoped it would. But Donald Kushner, who had, as producer, invested a lot of time in it, decided that the same technology, or at least the same look, was worth a second chance. And at that point, he would team up with Glenn Larson to make Auto Man. While the visual effects are similar, the main plot of Automan is the reverse of Tron. In Tron, a human is brought into the computer world, but in Automan, a computer program is brought into the real world, so kind of flips it on its head. Still, the look is the same, and 
when you see Auto Man for the first time, it's quite striking for the time. It might not impress you now, but it was pretty impressive. The actor who plays Auto Man, we'll talk a little bit about him in a few minutes, is just wearing a suit with reflective plates and lighting elements on it. And they would film with a beam projecting onto the actor, which would be enhanced in post-production. So there's not really animation going on here. It's all practical effects, visual ones, but practical, which is remarkable when you see it. I read that there's a beam splitter attached to the camera, and when the beam would hit the reflective clothing, they would appear to glow. I believe that reflective stuff on there were scotch light reflectors, and the light that was reflected on them was bright enough that they would tone it down in post-production, so what you were seeing is actually toned down practical effects. That fabric was made up of tiny reflective balls that would reflect nearly 100% of the light that was shown at them. If this technique looks familiar, you might have noticed it in Superman, the motion picture. The Kryptonian costumes are using this same effect. It also had these highly polished plates to give things a more holographic appearance. And all of that was enhanced in post-production using chroma key. Let's talk about Auto Man's plot. Auto Man is a show about the first automatic man. That's where they get the name Auto Man. And it revolves around a police officer who's also a computer programmer named Walter Nebaker, played by Desi Arnaz Jr., who has created a crime-fighting hologram, played by Chuck Wagner, who is able to leave the computer and help Walter fight crime. In the real world, Auto Man poses as a government agent when he needs to have a name called Auto J Man, which I just adore. Nobody knows, although it should be obvious, that Auto Man isn't real, except for Walter and his friend Roxanne Caldwell, played by Heather McNair. So what were Auto Man's powers, besides being the perfect automatic man with quite an ego to match? Auto Man had a sidekick named Cursor, who was a little floating polyhedron similar to Bit in Tron, was another little floating sidekick. And Cursor is a lot more useful than Bit. Cursor could draw physical objects when they were needed. So a car, helicopter, airplane, all of those could be created by Cursor at will and then used by Walter or Auto Man. And they all had a very Tron-like appearance with the light bars and it really looked neat. Another weird thing that could happen is that Auto Man could act as a sort of super suit for Walter, wrap himself around Walter, and they would appear as one person. With Walter being inside, the two could actually talk. And it's a strange thing, but an interesting twist on the use of what this fantasy technology could do. Auto Man wasn't without his weaknesses, though. He had a bit of an ego because he did believe himself to be perfect. So, some confidence, but he was also very literal, sort of like Data from Star Trek The Next Generation. He didn't fully understand the human world. Auto Man also used a lot of electricity and would suffer power shortages during the day, so he would be rarely seen during the day. My name is Auto Man. You must be Walter Nebaker. How did you know that? It's on the programming you fed into my system. I must say, Walter, you're very good. Very good indeed. I look wonderful. If you do say so yourself. You programmed me to be honest. But tell me, why did you call me Auto Man? It means that you're the world's first truly automatic man. You can do anything because you're not real. Oh, but I am. 
I'm as real as you are, just different. And thanks to you, perfect. Nobody's perfect, Auto Man. Well, that's not true, Walter. You've programmed me to observe other people and do whatever they can do as well as they can do it. Jimmy Connors playing tennis, John Travolta dancing. In fact, on a scale of one to ten, think of me as an eleven. I've created a monster. No, what Walter really created was a wonderful force for good. Auto Man. That's me. Let's get a little into the cast. There's not a deep cast, which I like on a TV show. The main characters are Walter and Auto Man. We'll talk a little bit about the full cast, though. Walter Nebaker was played by Desi Arnaz Jr. Desi Arnaz IV was born in 1953. He's known as Desi Arnaz Jr. If that name sounds familiar, it's because he is the son of Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball. He is Little Ricky from I Love Lucy. And while he did start way back in the 50s doing some acting as a child, he would continue to work all the way up into the 90s and would be on TV shows like The Brady Bunch, Love American Style, Medical Center, The Streets of San Francisco, Fantasy Island, Love Boat, Matlock, the list goes on and on. I read a interview with Arnez about the same time he did Auto Man, and he said, So I've done pilots, and I've done a lot of movies for TV, maybe 15 to 20. I got this because they asked me. Actually, I read for it. I was the last one cast, and they still hadn't found what they wanted for Walter. Walter's not what he started out to be. He's actually a sheep in wolf's clothing. This is a story of a man who created his alter ego. Auto Man is everything Walter ever dreamed of being as a policeman. He's of another dimension, but sometimes Walter can step into that dimension and join with Auto Man. A very clear paragraph of not just what Arnez thought of his character, but a summary of his relationship with Auto Man. And Auto Man, or Auto J Man, was played by Chuck Wagner. Wagner was born in 1958. He's a director, actor, works a lot in musical theater, and has an extensive career in theater, much bigger than his screen work. He's probably best known for his work in Auto Man, but he also starred on the TV show General Hospital as Randall Thompson in the two years before Auto Man. While his theater credits are much bigger, he did appear on some shows that you probably heard of, Dynasty, Matlock, The Dukes of Hazard. He does bring a theater person's gravity to the role of Auto Man, which is a lot of fun. It also helps that Wagner's really big. He's six foot five, and they would put four inch heels on him to make him even bigger looking, so quite imposing as a figure. To play Auto Man, Chuck tried to find a person he could emulate, and he decided that William Shatner as Captain Kirk would be the basis of his performance, since he was such a big fan of his. Wagner was quite enthusiastic about Auto Man when it was released. In an interview, he said, It's geared to everybody, not just to children. There's more to it than a show like The Dukes of Hazard. He also states about his working relationship with Arnez, He's fantastic. We're like brothers who just found each other. We both believe in the same things. We both believe in the Auto Man concept. I like that. When a person's out there talking about their show, constantly staying on message, really pushing it. In the same interview, he also talked about how confident he was that the show was going to be picked up for a second season. That didn't work out so well. Heather McNair played Roxanne Caldwell. McNair is an actress, worked into the 90s on TV and films. She was on Knight Rider, St. Elsewhere, Airwolf. On the big screen, she was in the movie Chaplin. It's a pretty good movie. Robert Lansing played Lieutenant Jack Curtis. 
Lansing was born in 1928, passed away in 1994. He did a lot of television work, probably best known for his work on 12 O'Clock High, but he also worked on The Twilight Zone, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Murder, She Wrote, and Star Trek. Finally, Gerald S. O'Loughlin played police captain E.G. Boyd. Gerald Stuart O'Loughlin, born in 1921, passed away in 2015. He's a tough-talking character actor, best known to anyone who was in the 80s for his work on Auto Man. But from 1972 to 1976, he was on the TV show The Rookies. Another big star of Auto Man are the vehicles, namely the auto car and the auto chopper, because those were the most common vehicles that Cursor would draw. They were just black vehicles with reflective tape stuck on them. The auto car was a Lamborghini Countach LP400, worked like a normal Lamborghini, the doors going up, but in the show it could make 90 degree turns which I think would really kill somebody if somebody was in the car. But instead, it's just played for laughs. If Walter wasn't buckled up, he goes flying into the door. And it's very Tron-like, very light cycles, the 90-degree turns. The auto chopper was a Bell Jet Ranger, and there was an airplane and a motorcycle. The auto plane was actually a miniature model. That didn't mean that Cursor couldn't draw other things, guns, even instruments. If you could dream it, Cursor could build it. You could only imagine if the show had gone on how much more Cursor would have learned to draw. If you watched Auto Man back in the day, you might have heard a voice doing announcements. That was voiced by William Conrad, who has a great voice, played Cannon, and played the Fat Man on Jake and the Fat Man. He would do intros, outros, and bumpers, and here's an example of his work. Stay tuned. Auto Man will be right back. If you have not heard the theme song to Auto Man, it went a little something like this. That song was written by Billy Hinch. Billy is a singer and songwriter. He's worked with people like Elton John, the Beach Boys, Orn Zevon, and many others. I think that the Automan soundtrack is just great. Love the sound of it and the instruments. Billy did not work on the show itself. They had various composers come in, including Stu Phillips, Ken Harrison, Morton Stevens, J.A.C. Redford, and Peter T. Myers. And there's quite a lot of nice music in the show. There were only 13 episodes of Automan, but some were a little bit better than others. Which were the best? Here's Metagirl with the top five episodes of Automan. Five, four, three, two, one. Greetings, retro fans. This is Metagirl bringing you the top five episodes of the single season sci fi series Automan. At number five is episode nine Murder MTV. Walter and Automan investigate the assassination attempt on an all-girl band called Sweet Kicks, fronted by lead singer Jesse Cole, played by real-world 80s pop star Lara Branigan. Our hero's pursuit is complicated by Jesse's father, who engages the mafia to protect his daughter. This episode showcases a key attribute of Automan, how it embraced the pop culture of its time. Not only does Brannigan shine as lead singer, with her own songs featured throughout the episode, but Automan saves the band's gig by filling in for an absentee guitar player. Rockin'! Number 4 is Episode 7, The Biggest Game in Town. 
Ronald Tilson wants revenge on the city of Los Angeles for terminating his government job for embezzlement. He leads a trio of computer experts who, after causing a massive blackout and opening the city reservoir's floodgate to prove their prowess, demand $10 million lest they hijack the city's computer systems and unleash chaos on the town. On the case, Walter and Automan track down the evildoers confronting the criminals at a computer gaming convention. Automan maintains his mellow manner even when shot by the villains with an anti-hologram laser, which has little effect on our hero in pursuit of his foe. Number 3 is episode 13, the final episode of the series, Club 10, which was unaired during the show's original run. When Roxanne's friend is kidnapped, she, Walter, and Automan head to the exceedingly elite Caribbean resort, Club 10, to investigate. As they attempt to rescue, they get caught up in a nefarious drug smuggling operation, deal with double-crossing criminal cohorts, and contend with a British agent who's already entrenched in the case himself. At number 2 is episode 11, Zippers. Two employees of the exclusive ladies-only strip club, Zippers, are operating a burglary scheme out of the club by making illicit copies of posh patrons' house keys, which they later use to rob the clients' homes. Walter and Otto are put on the case. Leveraging Otto's powers of X-ray vision, the crime-fighting duo identifies the crooks, dominate them in a car chase, and catch them with the goods. But the case becomes more tangled when it's discovered that the thieves have unwittingly stolen a ring with an embedded microchip containing the details of everyone sheltered by the Witness Protection Program. The rightful owner of the ring had been in the process of selling this witness data to the mob, which now wants to claim their prize by any means necessary, including killing one of the burglars who was out on bail. In the end, Automan goes undercover as a zippers stripper, the mob boss is captured, the remaining burglar is apprehended, and the microchip is recovered, thus protecting the witnesses. And the number one episode of Automan is Episode 12, Death by Design. Lieutenant Jack Curtis and his old academy buddy and dear friend Nate Hester are staking out hitman Eric LeBlanc. Nate follows the assassin into the offices of Sylvana Fashions, where LeBlanc kills fashion mogul Joseph Sylvana and then shoots Nate as he escapes. Jack learns that the killer was hired by a mob boss who claimed half ownership of the fashion company despite Sylvana having paid up the debts that he owed. Tracy Morgan, the business partner of the slain Sylvana, bravely stands her ground in the face of ongoing threats from the mob and tries to keep the company going, for instance by supervising a photo shoot of bosomy swimsuit models splashing in a kiddie pool. The police deploy a convoluted scheme to smoke out LeBlanc and the mob boss who hired him. The crux of the plan involved Automan posing as a vigilante cop named Mad Dog. To support the ruse, Walter created false police reports of crooks being gunned down by Mad Dog so as to trick the bad guys into panicking. And there you have it, the Retroist's top five episodes of the short-lived sci-fi superhero series, Automan. Until next time, List fans, this has been Metagirl. Thanks, Metagirl. When the show came out, critics were not kind. Most discussed the likability of the actors and special effects, but they thought that the performances were childish or wooden, I guess stilted might be a good way to summarize it. They basically thought it felt like a show for kids. 
Another big thing they mentioned were the people it was up against, namely Magnum PI. And given the choice between Magnum PI and Automan, all of them said they would choose Magnum PI, even though it had been on for a couple of years already. Automan was released on December 15, 1983. It would make it until April 2, 1984. It was in the 8 p.m. time slot on ABC. And as I said, it was up against TV shows like Magnum P.I. And then it was moved around and would compete against things like Scarecrow and Mrs. King and TV's bloopers and practical jokes. It didn't help that it was a pretty rough time for ABC. So you combine that with the cost of making an episode, which was upwards of a million dollars. And you could see why the show was canceled, even though it had a 13.6 rating, which would be immense now. It'd be the number one TV show on TV. But back then, that was considered poor, especially for the cost of making it. And they would make 13 episodes, as I mentioned, and only broadcast 12. Larson had, of course, learned from Battlestar Galactica that if the show had kid appeal, you could do merchandising for it. And there was merchandise released for Auto Man, mostly in the United Kingdom from Acamas Toys. They had action figures, costumes, toy cars, and more. In the U.S., Jaru Company would release supermarket toys, little plastic toys usually that you could get, but would have Auto Man branding on them. They would also release a Commodore 64 video game and a novelization. That novelization is of the first episode, and it is the only print tie-in for Auto Man, and it was available only in the UK. It was published by Target Books. You might have seen them as the people who do work on the Doctor Who series. It was written by Martin Noble, who would also work on the novelization of Who Framed Roger Rabbit and the underrated movie Ruthless People. You can find it for sale online. It's relatively affordable, but the shipping from the UK is pretty crazy. So if you're in the UK, you're in luck. You can pick this up pretty easy. The Automan video game was made by Bugbyte Software for the Commodore 64, and it's pretty good. In it, an evil Automan clone has created an underworld crime syndicate using the same Automan program, and Automan needs to move around and find objects and evidence in order to track down his clone. It is a platformer and a 3D maze game, so there's a lot going on on it. I went and played it recently just to try it again, and I was really surprised that it's such a good game. It is worth tracking down if you have the time. If you were a fan of Auto Man, it took a while for it to show up on DVD, so anybody who was watching it earlier usually was watching something that had been recorded at very poor quality back in the 80s. In 2012, the first DVD release happened in the UK because the UK is all over Automan. They have really good taste. Then in the summer of 2015, it was released on DVD in Australia. And, and finally, in autumn of 2015, Shout Factory released the complete series on DVD here in the United States. It was a four-disc set that had all 13 episodes and a good amount of bonus features, including a documentary featuring interviews with Chuck Wagner, Glenn Larson, Desi Arnaz, and Heather McNeil that ran for 42 minutes. Worth owning just for that if you're an Auto Man fan. Then a feature called The Story of Auto Man, cast and crew biographies, gallery of the collectibles, stills, and then of course a trailer for another Glenn Larson project, Manimal, which I did a podcast about many years ago. If you have the time, you should look up the short Hoologram, H-E-W-L-O-Gram, which was directed by Aaron Rabinowitz in 2017. It's a, just a five-minute short, 
that is about a character that's very similar to Auto Man who comes to life now and it's all played for laughs. But the real bonus is that Chuck Wagner as Auto Man makes an appearance in it. So if you have the time, just search Hoolagram on YouTube and watch it. From what I understand, Rabinowitz got Chuck Wagner to appear in the film because he explained how much of a fan he was of the show. And I think that shows in this very short little film. Auto Man is a show that people half remember and sometimes half confuse with Tron. Much like Manimal, when you tell people about it, they don't believe you that it exists. But it did exist. And it's fun. It's a lot of fun to watch, even now. And it's a really perfect example of a film influencing television. And we've seen this many times. I mean, Battlestar Galactica is a perfect example of trying to cash in on the Star Wars craze. But with Auto Man, it's right in front of you. That shining design that Tron has is unmistakable. And so when you see Auto Man, you can't help but see Tron. And so it's just direct proof of this process happening of television borrowing from film and trying to build upon it. And I think Auto Man did a pretty good job of it. They took the basic concepts of a computer world, interacting with the human world, and put it in a cop show. It has likable characters, great special effects, and clever plots. So if you have some time, please check it out. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you like what you hear, you should follow Peachy on Twitter. He's at twitter.com slash peachypixel8. That's the word peachy, the word pixel, and the number eight. Thanks to Metagirl for another great top five list. If you like top five lists, and we all do, you should follow Metagirl on Twitter, where you can find her as Metagirl. That's M-E-T-A-G-R-R-L. Thanks to everyone who's been supporting the show. If you would like to support the show, you can do it two ways. One, write a positive review of the show wherever you download it. It really helps new people find the show. The Retroist is also on Patreon. If you would like to support the show via Patreon, you can check it out at patreon.com slash retroist. Retroist supporters on Patreon get bonus tracks, member-only episodes, and access to the Retroist Discord, which has been rated by me as the greatest retro community on the internet right now. It's amazing. I'd like to thank some new members, Jonathan Nelson, Eric Lefebvre, Greg Sargent, Daniel Saracini, David Collier, Frank Adams, and Costanza. Costanza, thanks to all of you. You're amazing people, and I'm glad to have you aboard. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. And then Auto Man says, on a scale of 1 to 10, Think of me as an 11. I think if you're going to create artificial life, that's definitely how you want it to start out. For the Commodore 64, there goes Auto Man, right down the street. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.